Turn with me this morning to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 2. Or rather put a zero on the end of that and make it Deuteronomy 20. Thank God for an infallible Savior who cares about fallible preachers. Deuteronomy 20. Deuteronomy is the second law giving. Literally is the meaning. We see it drawn out from Exodus 20. We see it uh, repeated and uh, alliterated in Deuteronomy. He takes the book to explain the depths of the law and he tells them, Hear, O Israel. And that word in the Hebrew, hear, literally means listen to obey, not just ear service, but heart service. And in chapter 20, he tells them how to go about going to battle. You remember when he spoke to them in Egypt. He said, I will bring you out with a mighty hand and I will bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And when you go, you are not to make any treaties or to go in and out with them to mix and mingle, but you are to be a different chosen people. And there will be times where there will be those who I am giving their land to you will not like it and they will fight against you. The world does not like Christianity. It does not like Christ. Now there's a quiet breeze blowing throughout the world today that I'm seeing God's people who are called by His name rising up. I'm seeing great things happen. But make no mistake about it. The battle will continue until the Prince of Peace comes back. Now let me ask you a question. We're now starting our third month in 2017. And you have heard not only from me, but from Brother Brian Alexander. You have heard all different forms of messages. Let me ask you a question. Do we really believe that God is bigger? We have heard God's bigger than this and God's bigger than that. But do we really believe that? Let me ask you, do we believe he's bigger than our jobs? Most of us would say yeah. Do we believe that he's bigger than, I don't know, let's say some relationships? We say, yeah, God's bigger than that. He's done those things. What about finances? Is God bigger? Oh, yes. We heard Brian talk about it. The deacons were very blessed to be able to have him teach us and to just come alongside us and we heard some stories and you heard some stories how God was very real and I even explained one of those stories of how God was real in some finances in our life. Yeah, God's bigger than our finances. I went to the mailbox and there was this unexpected check when we needed it the most. Yes, God's bigger. Let's, let's get it down to where we're all living today. Is God bigger than cancer? Is God bigger than a wayward child? Is God bigger than divorce? Is God bigger than death? Well, church, I'm here to tell you from His Word 
not from my own example sometimes, but from his word, an emphatic yes. God is bigger. And today as we look at Deuteronomy 20, I told Ryan when they struck the first notes, I said, I'm ready to preach now. He said, well, go at it. I'm glad I waited because, listen, the choir, Matt, praise team, Timmy, Elena, man, that was off the chain. That church, please do not come in and go out without realizing just how blessed we have. Uh, we are to have that choir, have Michelle and Mad and all of these instrumentalists and, and these vocalists that sing as unto the Lord. You can look on their countenance today and know somebody had been praying. You've been praying this week. I can sense it. But church, it is a, a continual process. And what I want us to camp out on for just a moment is the fact that God is bigger than our battles. We all have battles, don't we? Man, we all have battles. But battles with co-workers, we have battles with relationships, we have battles with habits, we have battles with finances, we have battles with our own emotions and uh, uh, our own psyche. There's a battle raging at all times. I want you to understand I'm going to give you the punchline first. We fight battles, but never forget he, Jesus, won the war. He won the war. How many of you remember watching Gilligan's Island, Bruce? All right. For those of you who don't know, Gilligan's Island was a sitcom. When they didn't use four-letter words and try to demean the family unit. Amen? It was funny. They were on a three-hour cruise that ended up on a deserted island. And one of my favorite episodes, there were a few, but one of my favorite episodes, now this was set in the late 60s, early 70s when this was going on. And on this one little tiny island, after they had been there for I don't know how long, y'all know where I'm going with this, I think. There's this little Japanese guy with these Coke bottle glasses emerges from a cave who thought World War II was still going on. He had been there for 20 something years according to the sitcom. And it was hilarious how they played it up. But think about that in life. He thought the war was not over. And some of us as believers live like the war is still raging. I've got news for you. On that day, Easter, early, early on the Lord's day, when they went to the tomb, they found it empty. And I've got news for you. No matter what the world says, no matter the lie that is still predicated upon humanity today, the disciples didn't steal him. He didn't vanish. He is risen. That is our victory in that war that Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. And in so everything 
else. Psalm 24, 8 says, Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Now I want you to let that sink in. And I want you to remember that, what the psalmist wrote, because I'm going to talk to you in just a moment of how the psalmist forgot. First of all, as we look at how God is bigger than our battles, let us look at verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 20. And when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and a people more than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Can I just real briefly put a tagline on here and be very transparent with you? This is where I fail. I forget or I choose to reject past victories. How dare I doubt the God of yesterday, Timmy, who saved my soul, as you so eloquently put it, saved me from eternal damnation, the one who paid it all, did it all, and loved me so I could love him. How dare I forget those past victories? But I do. And I come to a battle today in my life and I'm like, oh God, oh, I'm not going to make it. Oh God, how, how in the world can this be fixed? I can't see the solution. Yeah, and you wasn't at the cross either. But I paid it all. And I've won the war. There's a lot of things out there we can't see and we can't touch. But make no mistake about it, he's bigger than our battles. And so he says... And it shall be when you are come nigh unto the battle that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people. Now he's not speaking of a specific battle, but all battles. This is the law. He's not in, uh, uh, later on, he's, he's not in uh, the other places where the battles are going on. He's not with David or Saul or any of those who are fighting the other battles. He's not, this is not in the book of Joshua. It's not in Judges this is in Deuteronomy. He's giving us a template for how to fight the battle. And when you come nigh unto the battle, the priest shall approach and speak unto the people and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, listen. You approach this day into battle against your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Fear not and do not tremble. Neither be ye terrified because of them. Listen to this. For the Lord your God. Who's God? Who's God? Our God. Your God. The God is He that goes with you to fight for you against your enemies. To do what? To save you. You see, the first step as we plan in understanding our God is bigger than our battles is there's got to be a, a preparation. And that preparation is to just stop. As David was told from God, be still and know that he is God. We need to remember who is king. Now, we're very honored today to have almost an entire row of princesses with us. Yeah, I got your attention, didn't it? 
That's right. You're going to listen to Brother Matt now. All these princesses with their crowns and their princess waves. and That's pretty cool. They want all this stuff. And we've got princesses all over the place. But listen, in our lives, everywhere we go, everything we do, we have the king of glory. The king of glory. The, clink, the king of glo glory gets in the truck or car with you. The king of glory is with you when you get out of bed and when you go home at night. The king of glory is there in the dugout or on the court. The king of glory is on the job or in the field. The king of glory is in that hospital room or in that funeral home. For he is the king of glory. He is over all things. He is not in and he's not this pulpit. He's not those chairs. We're not pantheists. We don't believe God is, is everything. We believe God is over everything. There's a difference. We need to understand God created all things. For if it, there is that which is created, there must be a creator. If there is a design, there must be a designer. And we understand that that is God. Remember who is king. He said in 1 Corinthians 14, 8, For if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for battle? They told them when they went out to battle and they came in and for different situations, there were different trumpet sounds. If you've been in the military, you may have heard about some of these. And you know from basic training, you were woke up to reveille and lights went out, or when the sun went down and they pulled the flag down, they would blow taps. There are different sounds from the trumpet. And what we need to understand, sometimes we're fighting battles that God never called us to. We run headlong into things we think we can fix. And we're not prepared for the battles that we're facing. We're not listening to what the Lord has told us. Now I want you to see something about this initial preparation in remembering who is king. First of all, we need to remember, don't faint. Don't faint. He tells us in verse 3, do not let your hearts faint. Now what does that mean, don't faint? It means to be soft or to be weak. Church, the world is real. ISIS is real. The anti-Christian Liberty Union is real. There is a real couple who has lost their bakery business because Satan has fought them. Those, that couple is real. There are children who are really abused. There are people who have been mocked and scourged for the cause of Christ. That's real. So we need to wake up and we need to toughen up and stop with all this mealy mouth, weak need approach to our Christianity. There's a time to be militant. I did not say a time to be arrogant. Benjamin Franklin said that the smallest package in the world is a man who is wrapped up in himself. It's not about you. It's not about me. We, we think everything that goes on around us is about us. Some of us, have you ever saw somebody that walked off, shook your hand, talked to you, and they walked over, and you couldn't hear them talking, but they went straight over and started talking, and you were convinced they were talking about you. And they were talking about how much rain they got yesterday. 
But you were convinced they were talking about you. Church, this world and everything going on in it is not about you. We need to stop fainting at the mere sight of the battle. David was one of our spiritual heroes because none of his brothers or a king who stood head and shoulders above all others would go into the valley of Elah. And David, having gone as an emissary of his father Jesse, simply to bear bread and cheese and nutrients, nourishment unto his brothers, saw that great giant, Goliath, that man of Gath. They're mocking his God. And the one thing David knew, David knew when he was on the backside of the desert, he remembered. He remembered that his God delivered him and his sheep out of the paws of the lion. He delivered him out of the mouth of the bear. He delivered him out of all the enemies that would come against him. And he was convinced that day, even though the armor would not fit, God had prepared his heart for battle. He remembered who the God of the battle was. And that's what he cried as he turned that whip loose. And as Goliath fell, he stood there in the name of the Lord. Don't faint. Don't be weak. You see, those who do not pray become weak. The average believer is spiritually anemic. We don't pray. We don't read. We don't prepare for the battles we face. And so when they come, and listen, they will come. You cannot isolate yourself off. You cannot go far enough off the grid that the battle will not find you. Church, don't faint. Be prepared. He said not only... For us not to faint, but do not fear. This means to have dread. I don't know about you, but there's days where everything's going great. Everything's wonderful. Life's grand. And I just have this sense of dread in my life. It's spiritual warfare. Satan don't like me, Mike. He don't like you. He don't like anybody who claims the name of Jesus. Now, if you're not facing any battles in your life, you may want to check up and see if Satan knows who you are. Because listen, the man who tried to cast out demons in Jesus and Paul's name, the demon said, I know Jesus. He's a threat to me. I know the apostle Paul. He's a threat to me. But I don't know who you are. And I'm going to tell you something. The problem is we're no threat to Satan and his army. And so he don't bother us. But if you start praying for people, if you buy into this big invite and you start leading people and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you start encouraging people to come into a a relationship with the one who can change their life, I've got news for you. He's going to bring the battle. But the war's already been won. Don't fear. Don't 
carry the dread. Oh, I'm, I just know I'm going to go to work tomorrow and they're going to give me a hard time. Oh, I'm not going to go to the ball and I ain't going to do any good and I'm going to be this. Stop! Stop with the dread and face each day as knowing it could be your last. Live it to its fullest for the cause of Christ. I've been at many a deathbed. More than I would like to recount. But I assure you, without any kind of hyperbole here, I am not embellishing at all. I have yet to hear one say, you know what, preacher? I wish I'd have worked more. Oh, if I would have made more money. If I could have just went on a few more trips. No. Church, but I will tell you what I've heard. I wish I'd have prayed more. I wish I'd have led more people to Jesus. I wish I'd have been more faithful. Too many of us are walking in dread and we're so encapsulated and enthralled by our own dread and fear that we're no danger to this world. Church, when you walk up in a crowd that's doing that which is wrong, telling filthy jokes, they immediately disassemble for they know That your life convicts theirs. The dread should not be ours. He said, Don't, don't, don't fear. He said, Do not be, do not tremble. This means to be startled or surprised. We love to do this at our house. Becky's not real hip on it. Me and my kids are. We love to startle one another. I love more than anything in this world. For one of them to be looking in the pantry, which we do quite often. Because when the pantry day is pantry door is open, it opens into a cased opening into the living room. You can't see anybody coming. And it's a holocore door and a well-placed hand across that holocore door will send the very shivers of a dark, destitute place to the core of your being. And so when I catch anybody with that pantry door open, it's coming. It's coming. And my two children have adopted my love for that. And you know what? I love it. I don't like it at the very second, but I'm proud of them. But there's a difference when we're startled by Satan. Now, my wife don't like it. She don't hate me for it, but she don't like it. And it may take a few minutes for her to calm down. And I may want to keep that door in between us for a short moment. Too often, we're startled. Here's the deal. They know that door opens. At any moment, it can come. But they just forget because all they can see what's in that pantry. Where's the little Debbie's? So many times we put our eyes on things that are temporal. We, all we can see is what's right here. And we forget Satan is as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And he's standing outside our heart's door 
waiting to startle us. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good illustration. Because I'm going to tell you, I opened my door too many times in my life and just go brain dead that Satan is out there waiting to pounce. He's waiting for that one opening. That one time I let my guard down, he's going to pounce. Has Satan startled you lately? Come out of left field? Something you didn't see coming? Well, I've got news for you. God's still bigger. And maybe you were startled. That's all right. Learn from it and be prepared for when it comes next. See, there's been a few times where I snuck up. And I was getting ready to place that well-made hand for that door only to have them know and have seen me crouching and running in route and startle me. Now, I want you to think about something and hear me now. Now, there's a great spiritual truth in this. We give Satan more credit than he deserves sometimes. Number one, Satan is not all-powerful. Jesus is. Number two, he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere. Jesus can. And number three, and this is where it matters right here. He is not omniscient. God knows all. Satan doesn't. Satan does not know the future like God does. Satan is not eternal in the fact that God is. He is created and he will suffer eternally, but he's not the creator of eternity. He is a created being. Remember now, he was just an angel. He was a great angel, but just an angel. And so I want you to remember something. Satan does not know. Now he can... He can, just like a good detective, he can base things off of your past actions. He can profile you, but he cannot know what the future holds for your life. Trust the one who holds it. That's good stuff right there now. That's good stuff to base our life on because the battle is raging. Don't be surprised. Then he says, do not be terrified. This is a prevailing oppression. It is continued attacks. It, have you ever seen somebody that you think, you literally pray, God, how much more can they take? How, and have you ever heard somebody say, it's got to get better? Can I tell you, there's nowhere in the Bible that supports that. It does not have to get better. Do not forget that almost all the apostles died at the hands of a Christian killer. The only one we believe that didn't, who was faithful, is John, the beloved. I tend to believe that because Jesus protected him to take care of his mother. Now, that's my own idea. I can't absolutely prove that. But if Jesus trusted him to take care of his earthly mother, he probably took care of him pretty well. But here's the truth. Everything doesn't get better. All cancer doesn't go away. Think about it. Have you ever thought about this? Now listen to me. Those of you who want to buy everything that's new and improved, 
You see something on TV. You know why it's only on TV? Because no store will sell it. And if I could fix all my wrinkles and I could lose all the weight and I could make all my body better and I could give enough to get rid of all the problems that ails me, then why are good, faithful Christians still dying? Because it's appointed unto man once to die. Now, I believe we can take care of ourselves. And I believe there's some stuff that can fix a little bit of that. And I believe that can be a before, after, before, after. <laughs> not against that. But it's not going to make you live forever. The only thing that will is Jesus. You know, that's just, it's just the case. I've tried new stuff. Man, especially when it comes to mechanic stuff, if it looks like there's a way I can do a job easier or make things go away better. But I always remember, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. You see, we must not be terrified, church. It's coming. But do not let the prevailing oppression of Satan defeat you in the victory that is Christ's. We've seen the preparation is to remember who is king, but the dedication is to remember what and who we are fighting for. He said in verse 5 through 8, And the officers shall speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle, and another man dedicate it. Listen, without preparation, there will be no dedication. David, that same man who said, Who is the king of glory? The Lord, mighty in battle. That same one who cried out, You are the great shepherd. You have protected me. You have placed a table between me and my enemy. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. It's the same David. When he says in 2 Samuel 11.1. 1, when it was time that kings go out to battle. David didn't. What I mean by this. He said and Joab went. David would not have fallen. For the ploys of Satan. Had he been dedicated in his preparation and done what God had called him to do. In the time that kings go out to battle, David stayed home. And in staying home, he saw Bathsheba. And in seeing Bathsheba, he conceived sin in his heart. And sin in his heart caused him to become an adulterer, to become a murderer, and to cause sin to come into the camp. Church, men, remember who you're fighting for. Mothers, remember who you're fighting for. Teenagers, remember who you're fighting for. Church members, remember. You see, he rationalized, well, why, you know, I'm, I'm King David. Come on. 
He started believing all those songs. You remember when they sang, oh, Saul killed thousands, but David killed 10,000. He started believing it. Somebody tell you you're good, after a while you'll start believing them. That's right. Parents, I believe we ought to love on our children. But you need to break them in on the truth. They're not the greatest thing that ever happened. There will always be somebody that's prettier, faster, stronger, smarter. There always is. There always is. And as that great spiritual theologian Bob Zimmerman once said, whether it's the devil or the Lord, you're going to have to serve somebody. Church, remember, we're not the greatest, but we know who is. Amen? Teach our families to rely. Listen, David rationalized. And you know what rationalization is? Charles Swindoll said, it is what we do when we substitute false explanations for true reasons. When we cloud our actual motives with a smokescreen of nice-sounding excuses. Oh, well, I'm David. I don't have to go. Oh, I've built up a great honor, uh, army to bring honor into the Lord. He gave all kinds of excuses. But he says in verse 5 of Deuteronomy 20, Before you go to battle, dedicate your homes. What man is there that built a new house and hath not dedicated? If you don't go and do it, you may die in battle. And another man dedicated. Men, when you leave your home each morning, or each night, or whenever you leave it, leave it in the hands of the Lord. Pray over your wife. Pray over your children. Pray over your grandchildren. Do not give Satan an open door to come in. Satan's still going to come, but greater is he that is within us than he that is within the world. We need to be dedicating our homes, not just you men, ladies, Dedicate your home. Children, it's not mom and daddy's job to do all the praying for you. When's the last time you prayed for your mom and daddy? Last time they were in the hospital. Well, that was the whole illustration I gave to start with. Yeah, the Lord, he may be, God is bigger than the flu, but what about the issues day to day that go on in our life, the oppression that happens, the wink, wink, nod, nods that happen. You know, affairs don't start one day where you show up at work with a coworker and they say, you know, you're really hot, you wanna have an affair. That's not how it starts. It starts when we are, when we come short in our prayer life. Because I'm gonna tell you something, you can't stay mad it's somebody you're praying for. And you'll love them more if you're praying for them. If you're praying for your spouse, your children are praying for their parents, greater things can happen because you're giving God all the charge. We're not praying to change God's will. We're praying God change ours. It starts with a little wink, wink, nod, nod. You had a bad day. You went to bed mad. And the Bible says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. And so you go to work mad and you're kicking and cussing and uh, just, just doing all kinds of stuff that's not you and 
he or she says, what's the matter? Oh, are you going to talk about it? And then it goes from you bashing your spouse or bashing your mom and dad to, well, hey, you want to have lunch? Hey, you want to go, we're going to go, all us girls are going off for a weekend. We're going to go shopping. Oh, all us guys are going to hunt camp. We're all going fishing. We're all doing this. And so misery loves company. And the next thing you know, things done got sideways. Church, dedicate your homes to the Lord. Keep Satan at bay. Dedicate our work. He said in verse 6, And what a man is he that has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it. Let him also go and return into his house, lest he die in battle and another man eat of it. I don't care what you do for a living. If God has got you there, then be all there. The man says, the, the Bible says, whatever a man puts his hand to, do it with all his might. And trust, that's where God's got you. Stop complaining about where you're at and just pray that God would use you there. Because the Bible teaches us that wherever we're at and whatever we're doing, that's our ministry. And we're to do it as unto the Lord. If you're digging a hole, dig the best hole that, that would please God. If you're cutting grass, make it the most beautiful grass this side of glory. If you're caring for someone, care for them like they were your Savior. Love them. The Bible says that. Love others even as you love yourself. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. That's being biblical. Dedicate our work. You say, I, you, you just don't understand. I'm going to tell you something. I work construction. I do understand. I understand working for the most vile, foul-mouthed, worldly superintendents that's ever walked the face of God's earth. I've had them mock everything about Christianity. I've had them mock me, call, them, call me everything in the book, causing me to come just short of losing my ordination. I've prayed God kill them before I do. But you know what? God had me there. I've explained to you one time where I prayed, God, get me out of this situation. What are you thinking? I am a preacher. I've been faithful. I surrendered your call and ministry. God, I want to serve you. I want to go tell people. And you've got me in here with all these foul-mouthed, wretched bro. He said, yeah, what's your point? Yeah, but God, he said, you want to win people to the lost. You're right smack dab in the middle of Nineveh, son. Turn it loose. That job, which I hated and despised and prayed God would get me out of, besides being a pastor, is the most favorite thing I've ever done. God changed my perspective when I dedicated my work. Dedicate your relationship. Believe it or not, we don't date people just because they're hot. We don't continue dating them just because they're hot. How about that? Because Becky was hot. <laughs> Listen to me now. All you teenagers especially, all you single people, hear me. 
before you get committed in asking them on a date, and I'm not joking, so I want you to be real serious with me. Before you get the idea, hey, I may want to date him. I may want to date her. That's how relationships start. And relationships become closer relationships, and closer relationships may end up in marriage. Before you start asking them where they'd like to go eat and would they go out with you, listen, as you begin to talk, ask them where they go to church. And if they say, oh, well, we don't really go to church, then the next question is, well, do you know Jesus? Not in an arrogant way. And listen, God may have put them in your path, not necessarily to date, but to lead them to Jesus. My grandmother said, I wouldn't advise this. She said, and I'm not telling you to go against scripture. She said, but me and, when your, me and your granddaddy, when we started courting, sparking, and all that, they didn't call it dating. Yeah, y'all know that language. You're dating yourself because they'd be a hundred and something years old now. They'd been, when my granddaddy died in 04, they'd been married 70 years. My grandmother lived two and a half more years and never slept in her bed again. Because she said, I shared the bed for the love of my life. I'm not going back in that bed without him. She slept in her chair two and a half more years before she went to be with the Lord. What an example of love for each other. But she said, when we started dating, your granddaddy was lost. He didn't know Jesus. She said, when we started dating, we, she said, when we got married, I would not advise that. She said, but God is bigger than my failure. And I tried to live an example of Jesus Christ in front of me. She said, it wasn't always easy. But I kept praying for your granddaddy. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And one day your granddaddy heard the calling of the Lord. He fell on his face before God and said, I'm a sinner lost and on my way to hell. Please forgive me of my sins and save me. It's important. It is vastly important. Young people and old people alike. Listen, you may have been married 50 years. It's not too late to dedicate your relationship. Dedicated unto the Lord. And then we need to dedicate ourselves. He said in verse 8, And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return into his house, lest his brethren's heart faint, as well as his heart. Dedicate yourselves, because listen to me. Other people are watching. He said, let them go back home, lest they call somebody else. And not only do we have one that's failed, but now he's dragging other people down. Daddies, don't wonder, hear me now, don't wonder why your child can't keep a job why your child rejects God and quits church, why they marry an unbeliever and raise your grandchildren outside the will of God when they saw the worst example in your life. They heard you, yeah, but I went to church every Sunday. Got in your car and bashed the preacher going home and talked like the devil and lived like the devil. Your children... If they're as smart as you say they are, they're smart all the time. They're smart when you wish they wasn't. 
Ben, Pam, Vanessa, when y'all interviewed me, y'all were in the hospital. You remember that? Y'all were in the boardroom at the hospital on Skype interviewing me in my home 350 miles away. And Becky and I were in my study. Somebody remembered that other day. They remembered the oak paneling on my, that was pretty cool. But as you were interviewing me and talking about things, there was a certain little young eighth grade girl laying flat on the floor outside my office door at home listening to every word that was being said. Be careful, little ears, what they hear. Be careful, little eyes, what they see. Don't be surprised and don't you dare wear them out for something you taught them by example. Dedicate yourself unto the Lord and your children will follow. Listen. He who excuses himself accuses himself. Let there be a preparation by remembering who is king. The dedication through remembering what and who we are fighting for, but the administration. He said in verse 9, And it shall be when the officers have made an end of speaking unto the people that they make captains of the armies to lead the people. There must be a commissioned leadership. We must follow the Lord, and we must follow those who follow the Lord. There must be a committed Leadership. If we're expecting Eastside to grow, then they must see, the church must see me, must see the Sunday school teachers, must see the small group leaders, must see the youth pastor and the children's minister and the music leaders setting the example. We must be committed. But in closing, the application. Now it's war time. It's battle time. It's time. The battle is raging. What do we do? Verse 10, and when you come nigh unto a city to fight against it, proclaim peace unto it. That's that whole part where, where David says, the Lord hath prepared a table between me and my enemy. It's always better to agree to disagree than to have to go to battle. But make no mistake about it. When it's time to go to battle, then we ought to be willing to fight. He said, and it shall be... If it make thee an answer of peace and open unto thee, then it shall be that all the people that is found therein shall be tributaries unto thee, and they shall serve thee. And if it will not make peace with you, but will make war against you, then you shall besiege it. And I just believe if God intends for us to fight, we ought to fight to win. Amen? I like what Jerry Glanville said one time as the coach of the Atlanta Falcons during preseason. Jerry Glanville's a little unbalanced anyway. Jerry Glanville was interviewed. They had lost a pregame, a preseason game, and they were talking to him about seeing some new players and playing some other ones. And they said, Well, coach, it looked like you were going for it all, and you had some of your highest paid starters still in there. Why do you do that? Why, why are you worried about winning? He said, wasn't they keeping score? He said, I don't buy all this stuff just to go. He said, if they're going to keep score, we're going to play to win. 
And sometimes we teach our kids how to lose. We teach them this whole cupcake, snowflake, participation trophy business. But I've got news for you in the battle for life and death. There's the victor and there's the vanquished. And there will not be any second place trophies handed out in glory. It'll only be those who have been bought and purchased with the blood of the Lamb. The application is we ought to make peace through Jesus. And if they will not accept it, then make war against all those who oppose it. And I don't mean to take up guns and knives and be malicious in our approach, but I want you to remember this, these words that Jesus stated in John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you that it might that in me, he said, you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Church, as they come to the instruments. Is God bigger than your battles? The answer is yes, but in your heart, can you say it? He's bigger, Lord. You're bigger. You're bigger than my home. You're bigger than my heart. You're bigger than the worry I've had about a relationship. You're bigger than the job I have fretted over. You're bigger than my finances that I have pulled my hair out and lost sleep over. You're bigger than the politics. You're bigger than the borders. You're bigger than everything. God, may you be the victor in my life. And may I fight with the intensity and with the love that comes only through the one who has conquered it all. May you be the Lord and King in my life, just as you are of all glory. Will you stand and commit your life unto him? Give him your life. Ask him to forgive you and save you, change you right now. Come without hesitation. Don't put this off. The battle's raging. Satan wants your home. Will you come and give it to him? Give your life to Jesus.